0: Good morning. morning. Awesome. Good job. I'm John, in case you don't know me. I've had the opportunity. Thank you so much, Joe, for the opportunity to speak. Uh, I got the opportunity to speak a few times already, but I'm normally in the back over there, and I'm teaching through the book of Exodus with a community group that meets during the second service. The pastor told you about going to Denver, and I really appreciate that we have missions teams that go out. They're fulfilling the Great Commission. As you are going, make disciples. And uh, those two imperatives uh, kind of a, uh, well, I'll get into the grammar there. The, the imperative is make disciples. The other thing is a participle. It just says, as you're going. Going, make disciples. So they are doing that. And I'm really uh, proud of them for doing that And Havila. Good job down there. My daughter, Havilah, went along with. So I want to talk today, uh, not in Exodus, but 430 years prior to that, we're going to be continuing in our series on the life of Abram. Abraham, his name was changed to Abraham. But before I do that, I want to talk about the roadmap. And this analogy applies to us in life. We have a way to develop our in our faith. Our faith is developed much like a trip if we were to go somewhere, like Denver. I was teasing the pastor because when they left here, they had a whole bunch of groceries and drinks and a cooler full of food. And, and I told him, I, is it because there aren't any any grocery stores in Denver? And But anyway, so... <laughs> One of the trips that I like to take is uh, going up to Glacier Park. I used to work in Kalispell, and so I'd have to go uh, once a month, and I, often I would go over Marias Pass and go through Glacier Park. Well, one of the trips that's really beautiful going to Glacier Park is going to the Sun Road. Anybody ever been on that? It's amazing, isn't it? How did those guys build all that with horses? And uh, I just have, have no idea. But going to the Sun Road, uh, next slide. The, um, the thing is, before you go on a trip like this, you need a road map. You need to know where you're going, and it really helps if you prepare, because you could run into a lot of things. You could have a flat tire. You, you probably need some food getting from here to there. It's over eight hours uh, just to get to the park, and then going to the Sun takes you another couple of hours. And uh, it's it's a long ways, so you want to be prepared. God has given us His Word, and His Word lays out not only the stories, not only the examples, not only the models that we have to follow in their footsteps. Uh, the, theoretically, Abraham is our father, right? He's a model we follow in his footsteps. And that's why we want to talk about him. But I want to show you a roadmap. It happens uh, in 2 Peter and chapter 1. Now, I have up here the uh, New King James Version, but I put the ESV up there because Joe always preaches from the ESV. There are slight differences, but it's just translation differences. There's nothing different in content. So I want to read to you from 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to do all of the verses from 1 to 11, and since I am short-sighted and almost blind in one eye, I need to find it in here, and I know I marked it, Uh, John, my marker fell out, all right, here we go. 2 Peter chapter 1. Again, there might be slight differences in our translations here. You know what? I'll just read it off of the slides because that will make it better for you guys. All right. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with, with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May Greece May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted us all things, granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Did you catch that? This is the so that. So that you can become partakers of the divine nature. Those are powerful words. This is the journey that we are on. Having escaped from corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith, with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection. The word in Greek is Philadelphia, brotherly affection. The next one, we call it brotherly love, right? The next one is agape, and to brotherly affection add love, Agape is a self-serving, self-sacrificing love where you think of others more than yourself. It's the kind of love that Jesus brought to us. So his example and Abram's example can guide us just like a roadmap as we go through this life. Then it goes on and it says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, and are increasing, that's another word for growing, They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. This is a concern for everyone who is a follower of Christ. I don't want to be ineffective. I don't want to be unfruitful. In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pretty good trip, huh? I want to go on this trip. I want to get from A to Z. I want to get there, and I want to prepare. So as we go and we look at Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and 13, actually I'm going to be more in 13, and I'll dip into 14 and 15. As we get there, um, I want to show what Abraham's life, how it reflects these characters, these qualities, and how it is a model for us in our walk, in our life. And then what we're going to do is we're going to share in communion, and then we'll sing some more. But as you go away from here, what I want you to take away from this message is these qualities keep you from falling. They keep you from being blind. They get you where you need to go in your faith journey. Let's pray. God, We know that you will continue to show us the way. We want to build up our lives in Jesus so that we will be fruitful and effective in your kingdom. We want to step out in faith like Abraham, who is like our father in this epic journey. Open our eyes, Lord, Father God, and show us the steps that you have prepared for us. Give us the will to get up and get moving on our way. Going to the Son, S-O-N, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so it says, make every effort to check your calling and election. Those are high-powered words. Make every effort doesn't take away the idea that our faith is by faith alone, through grace, through Jesus Christ. It doesn't take away from that idea. It's kind of like, okay, so faith is our vehicle. And God's grace is maybe like the gas. And you have a holy credit card that was given to you. You didn't didn't come up with it. The bank account isn't yours. But you have this holy credit card. And you have to supplement, have to supply that fuel that goes in that car. None of it's yours. It was all given to you by God. You swipe and you supply. You supplement by putting some gas in that car. If you're going to go all the way to going to the sun, you're going to need some gas once in a while. In your faith journey, have you been tired before? Have you been discouraged? Have you gotten to the place where you started to forget that you were forgiven of your prior sins? Have you maybe gotten to the place where you thought, like Abraham, God, what can you do for me? Seeing as how the promises aren't fulfilled. Well, let's look at Abraham's life. If you'd turn with me to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. Last week, Alex covered chapter 12, and he talked about how Abraham had gone down into Egypt. In Egypt... Uh, he went down there because of a famine. The famine was very severe. So he took his wife, and I think he took his nephew Lot with him. And the famine was severe, but he told his wife, Hey, you know, you can say say that you're so that it'll go well with me. We talked about that last week. In chapter 13, Abram has an issue with... Some of the um, arguments that are going on between his herdsmen and between Lot's herdsmen. Now, Abram has a lot of stuff. He came out of Egypt with a lot of stuff. He was very wealthy in chapter, in verses 1 and 2, it says he's very wealthy in property, mostly livestock, and gold and silver. Abraham's very wealthy. He has a lot of people in his household. He's responsible for a lot of people. And Lot is also very wealthy. He says, Abram says to Lot, hey, you know what? We shouldn't be arguing because we're brethren. We need, to, uh, we need to find better pasture for all of our livestock. The land can't support us, so you separate from me. And here's the deal. You go one way, and I'll go the other way. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And so Abram says this to Lot even though Abram has already been told a couple times by now that he is along the whole line from Abram to, or from Noah to Shem, all the way down to Abram, he's in that line. He knows because God told him that he will inherit the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan is where they're at right now in Bethel. So he moves up from the Negev, that means the south, I think it says, does it say south in there? Back up one. It says from the south. Well, the word is the Negev in Hebrew. The Negev is the southern tip of Israel, the land of Canaan. It's in the Sinai Peninsula. So if you go up from the Negev desert, you're going up towards Jerusalem. And north of Jerusalem is a place called Beit El, the house of God. Bethel and Ai Ar are two towns very close to each other. And that's where Abraham, Abram, had come, when he came down from Haran, he crossed the Jordan, and he saw a place, and he stopped there, and he built an altar to the Lord, and the Lord spoke to him there. It's called Beit El. He pitched his tent there between Beit El and Ai. So he goes back there now, and he builds an altar, kind of like rekindling his worship to the Lord rediscovering the promises, the precious promises that he had been given. So r- while he was there, he made a covenant with three guys who are Amorites, Eshkol, Mamre, and Aner. Uh, those three guys make a covenant with Abraham. Even before he's called Abraham, he's called Abram right now. So they make a covenant with him. Lot goes down into the Jordan Valley. That's where he chooses to go. He sees that it's all well watered. There's plenty of pasture for all of his livestock. He, he thinks, well, that's a, that's a great land for me. And he goes down there. But in that valley, there are some towns. Adma, Zeboim, Zoar, uh, Sodom, and Gomorrah you guys have heard of Sodom and Gomorrah before. It says right in there it says that the people of Sodom were wicked, and this is before those towns were destroyed. the people of Sodom were wicked. So Abram chooses or chooses to let Lot discover where he's going to go. Lot goes down into the Jordan Valley Abram stays in. Bethel and Ai, and then he moves to the Terebinth trees at Mamre, these big huge trees, and Mamre is the name of one of his buddies. So he's living there with all his family, all of his servants. I want to talk about why Abraham is a model for us. Abraham is a model for us because, you know, he wasn't chosen because he was the most righteous guy in the world. I mean, he he went down to Egypt he kind of fishtailed down there. He, he told some half-lies, half-truths to uh, spare his skin. Got Sarah in a big amount of trouble. You know, Abram is a lot like us. We're not the most righteous people in the world either, are we? We make mistakes. But why did God choose Abram? It was because of his own purposes. God chose Abram to do his will. If you look at the big, big picture, the big picture is that Abram is carrying the light. Abram is carrying the message from God to the nations. He's doing that because he's part of this line. He's part of this family. The family goes from Noah to Shem. Shem is the the, uh, the Semitic tribes. All of them def- def- descend from Shem. He's inhabiting the land of Canaan. Canaan is is the grandson of Noah, Ham's son, who was cursed. All this is in your Bible. I I implore you to read it. And then uh, from there, it goes through the line, through a guy named Eber. Let's go to the, uh, I don't know if you guys can read that, but right in the middle, there's a guy named Eber. The B'nai Eber is where we get the term Hebrews. This guy is the father of the Hebrews. And so it goes on, there's generation after generation of people who descend in this same family line. The family line that we're getting the stories that we're following in the Old Testament throughout Genesis. This family line is special. Why? It's because it holds the promises that the rest of the world needs. Later on, it says, it's not because you were righteous that I chose you, it's because I I'm going to judge those nations, just like he told way back when he told, like Noah, Noah cursed Ham. He said, and may Shem be servant, or may Canaan be servant to Shem and Joktan. That's amazing. So moving on, um, Abraham is like us in his humanity. Abraham is changed throughout the course of his life into something that we can look up to. Let's look back at our roadmap, 2 Peter 1, verses 3 through 4, in the first part of 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us into His own glory and excellence. Now, this word excellence is the same word as virtue later on. It's the same exact word. Virtue, by the way, do you know what virtues are? It's moral character. It's the way you act. So these, this is language of being. It's not just language of hearing. It's language of doing. It's the way you are, the way you become because of your character. We don't teach about virtues as much as, as they used to. But this, this is what this word means. It's God's virtue that he wants to instill into us and by which he has granted to us the, his precious and very great promises. Abraham was called by God. He was, we can say, elected. Abraham's calling and election is uh, sure. It's a sure thing because it's from God. God is choosing Abraham. And when God chooses to do something, it's guaranteed that it will be accomplished. We have some of those same exact promises, don't we? God says he will never leave us, never forsake us. God says, I will complete the work that I began in you. He is faithful to complete the work that he began in you until the day of Christ Jesus. See, God chose Abraham for his own purposes and his own uh, reasons. And he gave him what he needed to accomplish those things in his life. Now back to our timeline. I'm going to zoom in on this uh, line of uh, people that you saw before. Now, this bottom line, and I was given a nice little green pointer. You see this bottom line right here? This bottom line from here to here. That represents the life of Noah. Noah lived to be 950 years old. He was 300 years old when the flood came. And then he lived... uh, no, he was 600 years old when the flood came. He lived 350 years after that. His sons, Japheth, Ham, and Shem are here. This is Shem's line. This is Arfaxad, Salah, Eber, the guy I told you about. Peleg, in his time, the land was divided. And Ryu, Seleg, Tira, Abram's dad. And there's Abram right there. Or that one right there. The one that's kind of yellow. You see that one? So this first line right here is, oh, I think our battery's dead. The, uh, <laughs> this is Noah. This is the birth of his sons when he was 300 years old or after he was 300 years old. This is the year of the flood. 1653, Anomundi. Anno mundi means after Adam or after the creation, after Adam was created. This next line is when Abram is born. Now, what do I want you to notice about this? Abram is not alone, is he? He's got 10 generations. Until he turns 48, which is my age, until he turns 48, there are 10 generations of his ancestors alive on the face of the planet somewhere. And guess what? They're on the face of the planet somewhere in the Middle East, and Abraham just trekked through All of the inhabited places of the Middle East. Going from Ur, the Chaldees, all the way over to where he is now. He went all the way down to Egypt and he went all the way back up to Bethel. What that tells me, and all I did was add up the dates. What that tells me is, Abram was not alone in his testimony, in his purpose, and in the promises that God has given him. You see those ten guys? Those ten guys... What would it be like to have 10 generations living on the earth? All of my ancestors are dead. My dad's dead. The only one left is my mom's mom, my grandma. She lives in Utah. What what would it be like to have 10 generations? Hey, I'm going to go visit great, 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 grandpa Noah today. And I want to hear from him what happened. I want to hear from Shem how he received the promises that were passed down. Wouldn't that be awesome? Just amazing to me. Abraham wasn't alone. God has a plan for the whole world. And this plan is carried out through his godly purposes. God selected this family to carry those those promises, to carry the gospel light. Abraham's family is going to end up Blessing every nation of the world through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is descended from this same family. You and I are a part of that plan too, aren't we? It's not because, I mean, who who chose us? Who chose us to be believers? God did. We believe, but God chose us. This is what it's meant by calling and election. And he's called us for a purpose. He called us to carry his light to the rest of the world. That's always been his purpose. Abram makes choices. He grows in strength of character. You can see some of his choices in chapter 13, where he decides to let Lot take the part of the land. But in chapter 14, there's a whole bunch of politics. There's some kings that come down from uh, all the way, Kedur Leomer is the name of the big guy, and there's a suzerain vassal kind of thing going on. So the, what, what happens is the suzerain, the big king, says to the little kings, you guys got to pay me, or me and my homies are going to come and beat you up. That's basically what happens. So the suzerain, Kedur Leomer, has a whole bunch of vassals all throughout the Babylonian Empire, which extends all the way into uh, modern-day Israel. And so 12 years after Lammer makes a treaty with the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and Zoar, then they decide, well, we're not going to pay him as money anymore. We're going to rebel. And they get beat up for it. So when the kings go out to war during the summertime, he comes down, and, he, and he's just making all kinds of havoc with all of his troops and all of his armies and everything, and he comes past and he takes Sodom. He takes Gomorrah, and guess who he takes with him? Lot is down there. He takes Lot away. Abram hears about it from someone who escapes. There's the map that shows um, Dan all the way up in the north. Tell Dan, there's a mountain range that starts at Tel Dan and it can, extends on to the right of that mountain range, is Damascus in Lebanon. And north of that is a little town called Hoba. Uh, you can't find Hoba now, but I, I think I kind of found where it should be. But uh, it's not on this map. But Abram chases him all the way from the middle of the map all the way up to Dan. He gathers up his army, he mobilizes 380 some people that are in his household, trained and ready for war, and he takes Aner, Mes- uh, Mamre, and Eshkol with him, the guys who made an ally, who, who were his allies, who made a covenant with him. By the way, the difference here, um, the Chir- omer makes allies, but they use a different word here for what Abram did with the friends of his, Abram made a covenant. They weren't just Heverim, they were, it was a Brit, it was a covenant. Kind of interesting. I'm pointing out a lot of stuff here. I know there's a lot of information coming at you, but hang on. So Abram brings Lot back. He splits his army at Dan, attacks these guys, chases them all the way up to Hobah, over 200 miles. And then he brings everybody back. And in chapter 15, he meets up with a guy named Melchizedek. My king is righteous. He's the king of Salem, which is Jerusalem, basically the same place. Melchizedek is a priest and a king. And Melchizedek blesses Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, El Elyon. God Most High is blessing you. He surely is making you into uh, what he wants you to be. And in this journey... God is with you. Now, Abram pays Melchizedek a tithe, which means he recognizes him as a spiritual mentor, as a spiritual overseer. He recognizes him as a priest and king. And then the Sodom, the guy from Sodom who had run away uh, during the earlier fight in the valley of the Jordan, the Shaveh Valley, or no, the valley of Shittim, I'm sorry. The, um, these kings had run away, but now he comes up and he meets Abram, and he says, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a deal. You keep all the stuff, and I'll take the people. And Abraham says, no, no way. Actually, we sang about it in this song. The song has the same stuff in it, the, the uh, Be Thou My Vision. It has, it has that same stuff in it. Awesome. Anyway, he said, I'll take the people, and you can keep all the stuff. And Abraham says, no way. I have raised my hands to... Jehovah or Yahweh El Elyon. The same guy that Melchizedek was talking about. The same God. I have raised my hands to El Elyon and nobody is going to say that you, the king of Sodom, made Abram rich. So I'm not going to take even the the bootstrap. I'm not even going to take a thong sandal, sandal thong thing. You can't say that you made me rich. Abram is growing In his character, in his development. Do you see it? He's adding to his knowledge of God. He's adding to his faith, virtue. He's adding to his virtue, knowledge. He's adding to knowledge, self control. He's adding to self control, the the wisdom that comes with knowing God. God is changing him. He's becoming someone that we can really look up to. He worships God. But he goes through his downtimes, too, in chapter 15. It says, God appeared to him again after these big fights. And he says to God, well, first of all, God says to him, Abram, I am your shield. I'm your Magen. Magen David is the star of David. I am your shield, your great reward. And Abram says, what can you do for me, seeing I go airless? I go without a child. I don't even have a kid yet. You promised. So he's kind of, he, he's under this thing where he, he thinks that God isn't with him. It probably happened because he's tired. You know, when you're tired, sometimes you get discouraged. You forget. It's exactly what 2 Peter was talking about when it said, if you forget, you get to be nearsighted and you get to be blinded by that. So on your roadmap, this whole roadmap that we're looking at, on your roadmap, there's some danger signs. And one of the danger signs is, you know, you could be tired. There's wickedness in the land. Some other danger signs, there's people that are lying to you. That's really the point of 2 Peter is he's saying, hang on, follow the roadmap. Don't follow these guys who are lying to you. They're false prophets. And 2 Peter warns them in chapter 2. He says, hey... If if God didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah, if he didn't spare all the people that were around Noah in the time of the flood, if he didn't spare those people, he's not going to spare the people who are deceiving others about him. So there's some warning signs. There's unbelief. There's forgetfulness. Do you know that that's where we don't want to go? If you set out going to the sun to the going to the sun road, and you end up in Butte, you're not headed in the right direction. You're taking the long way around. So reevaluate. Reevaluate where you are. And finally, I want to go to the one with the picture of the fish on it. You know, in the early church, the, the Christians were under per- severe persecution from the Romans. Nero was them in his gardens. These early Christians developed a sign. They would draw a fish in the dirt. And that fish, the name for fish in Greek is ichthus. The Ichthyus is an acrostic. It stands for Jesu Christu Theos. Jesus Christ, God. Huios, Son, Soter, Savior. Jesus Christ, God, Son, Savior. Savior. That's what that symbol meant to the early Christians. We have a symbol today, don't we? We're believers, and we have raised our hands in worship to Jehovah, Yahweh, El Elyon, the Most High God. We have raised our hands in worship, and we have taken His name upon ourselves, and we don't want to take it in vain. We want to believe the truth, and we want to spread the truth. We have a sign that we start to uh, partake in Christ's body and his blood. And this sign represents that we know that we are part of the covenant people and that our job is to carry the light for all the nations. Panta ta ethnos. We are carrying the light for all the nations. Joe, if you would come up and we will partake of this sign together. As we prepare, I want you to remember You are God's. God owns you. And as you worship him, let him supply you with everything you need to get from A all the way to Z. The door is open for you. Joe.